when I heard those words, Carlene, you're adopted, I had a physical reaction. It was as if something happened in my ears, like I, like cotton balls were stuffed in them. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 167, and today I am speaking with Carlene. Hi, Carlene. Hello, Lily. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for doing this today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, Carlene, let's go ahead and get into your story today. Uh, why don't you tell me what your original family was like and, and who was in it and where you're from? Sure. I am from Carpinteria, California, a place that is known as the world's, where the world's safest beaches. That's pretty much, it's a little tiny town south of Santa Barbara. And I grew up in, I'm Hispanic, Mexican-American. My parents were actually immigrants from Mexico who came here in their 20s after they were just married in search of the American dream. So I was first-generation Mexican-American, and I had two parents, two brothers and a sister, and we were a close family. In fact, I also have an extremely large extended family. I have 63 first cousins. That's how big my family is. And my parents were pretty committed to their children, to our educations, and that we make something of ourselves. And again, they were big believers in the American dream. And my parents were not well off. They worked really hard. They sacrificed a lot for us and for our education. So considering their limited means, now that I realize I'm an LDA, late discovery adoptee, it really surprises me that they would have taken a child into their home. But at that time, I didn't know anything. Um, all I knew was I lived in this family, you know, in Southern California. And although, you know, I really loved my family when I got into my teenage years, it got hard. We sort of had this cultural war going on where my parents were so proud of their Mexican heritage and all I, was, all I was doing as a teenager was watching TV and seeing what Americans look like, and they didn't look like me, and I just wanted to look like them and be like them and act like them. And so there was this real cultural war going on between my mother in particular and myself. But what I didn't realize at the time was that there was something else going on. My mother was so overprotective, and I couldn't understand why, and I was constantly rebelling against that with her, and now I know why. I know that she was trying to protect me from a secret that not only my immediate family, but my entire extended family knew about. You know, all those 63 cousins knew I was adopted, but I did not. And so my mother was very overprotective. She, I know now she didn't want, she didn't want me to know. And so now in retrospect, I look back on that family and realize that 
with my two brothers and sister and parents and me, there was also this big secret that lived in our house. And it was a secret that everybody knew except for me. And I think it created a bit of an invisible barrier that I never could quite put my finger on, but now I know. And so it took me five decades to learn the truth. And that truth hit like a tsunami. Where are you in the birth order of your siblings? I am the baby of the family, the youngest by nine years. My sister is next and then my two brothers. Okay, so your next sibling is is nine years older than you? Yes. Okay. Are your parents still together? My parents have passed. And yes, they were together for actually 63 years. And they died now, I think it has been about 18 years that my father di- that my mother died and I think 11 years that my father passed away. So they took that secret of my adoption to their grave. Oh, wow. What was your relationship like with your siblings growing up? That was one of my greatest joys of growing up. I feel that I spent a lot of my growing up years really lonely and feeling just that I was always struggling with identity at that time. Not I had no idea about this other identity missing piece that was going on, but I was trying to figure out where I fit in the world. And my siblings, I just adored. I thought they were the coolest, most amazing people ever. And I particularly have a really strong and loving relationship with my adopted or my adoptive sister, who is nine years older. And part of that I realized, which I didn't know, was that my mother had told her in particular early on that she needed to protect me, that she needed to protect me because there was the potential of a stigma that people would think poorly of a child who was born out of wedlock and that she needed to protect me. And so my sister did what always did what my parents said. And even to this day, I mean, she is like my fiercest protector. Now, when you were raised as a child, you so you did not know you were adopted, but did you have any indications as a child that you were adopted? I have come to look at it as this unexplainable knowing that I didn't know. There was no reason I should know. I didn't look Well, I didn't look like anyone. I sort of say that I lived in the land of the giants where everybody was, my brothers are 6'4 and 6'3 and I'm 5'3 and they're very light skinned. My father had very light skin and green eyes and two of my siblings look just like him. And there's a certain look in the entire extended family that has that look. And I don't have that look. I'm short. I'm darker skinned. And I also didn't act like anybody at all, not even in my extended family. So there were those differences. But of course, you can explain it away as there's always somebody who's different. And that's what I believed. And even when I would question it out loud, because my my cousins and my siblings all knew, they would just brush it off and they would just say, well, you kind of look like, and then they'd say somebody, and which I didn't. But then I wouldn't really think about it too much. I would just think I'm different. Somehow I ended up being different. So although now it makes much more sense to me, now it makes, and why also kind of some of the emotional things that I struggled with 
like separation. I had this strange thing that was going on with me in my early 20s where I started to feel like, why do I feel a sense of abandonment so profoundly? My parents are still together. Why would I feel every time, for example, I would be in a relationship I and it would be over, whether I ended it or they ended it, I would feel quite abandoned. And I actually had to seek therapy for that because I could not understand that. So now I know where that yeah. where that stems from. Mm. I I came back from an adoptee conference and that that feeling of abandonment that was everywhere in mm. it's a it's a common thing when you when you haven't been raised with knowing the truth. As a child, did you ever or even I guess as a young adult, did you ever get a chance to see your birth certificate and did that did that raise any questions? I had a birth certificate. I still have it. And the thing is, I was never looking for anything. So there were probably things I've missed. But that birth certificate, I've always had one. And it always said my parents' name on it. So I never questioned anything. It was only after I discovered I was an LDA that I started holding up the birth certificate to the light and seeing, God, is there any information on there? Is there some clue in there? And it's interesting with birth certificates because after my siblings discussed and came out and they they said, we have to tell her, and I can share with you a little bit of the story of how that happened in a bit, but my brother went to look for the birth certificate because he had seen a birth certificate with my birth mother's name on it. He swears oh. he saw it. And then he went to get it in whatever whatever court office there was that you get this information from and he could not find it. And to this day he says, I swear I saw it, but all I have is birth certificates that have my mother's name on it and my father's name on it. Though having said that, this is the crazy thing. What I learned was because after I found out I was an LDA, I was I was turning over every stone. I was going for every clue. I was talking to everyone who was going to have any information because I needed to put my identity back together again as quickly as possible because it was so destabilizing to be in that state of what my core just frazzled from under me. My, you know, I've just been hit by a tsunami here. What I have to put this back together again. So one of the things I was told by a cousin of mine who knew, he said, you know, your birth mother went into the hospital when she was giving birth and said she was your, your adopted mother. She gave that name. And so therefore, her my adoptive mother's name was on the birth certificate, as was my father's name. And that must have meant a lot to my parents because I remember my sister saying that my mother had said, well, if she ever finds out, at least she'll know that her parents were on that birth certificate. So that somehow that birth certificate meant a lot to them. But so I don't know. But I have found out since then that I guess a lot of women in that position did that during that time. And we're talking about the 60s. So are you saying your your birth mother used a different name? On mm -hmm. your, she used my oh. adopted, excuse me, she used my adopted mother's name oh. on there. And that's something that was done back then? This is what I was told. I thought this was unique to me, but mm. I have since learned that other women did that. Mm. Okay. Now, I, I have so many questions. Um, I, how, 
See, so your parents must have known they were going to adopt you when your birth mother was pregnant with you? Yes. If you would like, I'd share a little bit of that story and how I came to that point because it's pretty, I still think about it and I think, God, that really happened to me? I I can barely believe that. But Mm. if it's okay, I'll share that part. Yes. This happened four years ago. And I remember I was sitting at my computer when this message came in from Facebook and somebody who had friended me about a week before put a message on there that said, you look an awful lot like my wife. And I thought, oh my God, what a flirt. And I kept ignoring him, but he kept sending me messages. And then he sent me a photograph of his wife. And he said, don't you think you look like her? Don't you think? And I looked at her and kind of was trying to be funny. So I said, no, I don't think we look alike. I just think we shop for glasses at the same store. And he said, well, ancestry DNA says different. And thought to myself, whoa, I had taken a DNA test a few weeks before, and I had received the results about a week a week prior to this message. And I had been so busy at the time that I didn't really look at it that clearly. I just looked at it I scanned through it and I thought, oh, there's nothing here I need to know. And I went back to my life. But if I had actually read it a little more clearly and paid attention, I would have seen that there was a woman's name in capital letters and it said this could potentially be a half cousin. But I didn't really look at the fine print. And this woman was, his wife was the woman who was on that sheet. And that's what he told me. And so this woman reached out to me and she was very nice. And she said, you know, I've just never seen anybody so close in terms of DNA match. And I'm looking for family. I've just really, I'm estranged from my mother and my brother. And I have my own family and I don't want to bother you. But I would love to know, maybe you know somebody who might be related to me. And I thought, well, I'll ask my siblings who are older than I am because they always know all the family secrets. And certainly my parents were big on secrets. I just didn't know I was a secret in this case. So I did reach out to my family and they said my siblings were unusually quiet. They're usually very funny and we're always laughing and they were not. And every time I would say, hey, this woman reached out to me. She's looking for family. Maybe you know, they would just say, I don't know anything. So about two weeks after that, my sister, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and my sister flew out from California, my adopted sister or my adoptive sister, who I didn't know was adoptive, she came out and she said, something big has happened in our family and I have to talk to you about it. And then she burst into tears and she was sitting down and just pulled some pages out of her purse. And she said, I had been writing these on the plane about 12 times. I'm so sorry. I'm crying. And then she basically read that she said, Carlene, you are adopted at birth. And she told me this unbelievable story about my adopted mother who went to go see a friend of hers and this is in California and was knocking on the door when she heard a lady crying in the background and when her friend came to the door she said hey who's that crying and she said oh that's that's my cousin and she's here from Chicago and she's not married but she has two kids and she's got a third one on the way and um, she wants an abortion and I'm not going to help her get one and so my adoptive mother took this family that she didn't even know, this woman she never met before, and took them to live with her and my father and my two and my three siblings. And then they told this woman, we'll adopt your child, we'll raise her. 
And I know that they had tried to give her money to, you know, maybe, you know, help her, but she didn't want that. She didn't want the child who, who was me. And then they they took care of her for six months until I was born. Then they gave her some money to, you know, to hop on the around the uh, Amtrak and go back to Chicago. And I stayed with them. And so that is when she told my siblings, you know, you're always to protect your sister. She's adopted. You know, people will try to hurt her if they know that she's out of wedlock. And so the family gathered around and that's what they all, they signed a pact and that's what they did. So my parents did know, I mean, they they weren't expecting to have another child. They were older. My mom was 44. My dad was 48. But this is what they did. What was your reaction when your sister told you this? Well, I thought my reaction was that I was nice and calm and cool. But since then, everybody's told me that it was like I went pale. And I know that internally, when I heard those words, Carlene, you're adopted, I had a physical reaction. It was as if something happened in my ears, like I, like cotton balls were stuffed in them. I stopped being able to really hear what, what my sister was saying. I could sort of see her lips moving, and I remember straining to hear what she was saying. And also when she said, you know, your mother almost had an abortion, I sort of st- really stopped hearing what she said because I suddenly went, oh my God, I was almost not on this planet. And I am totally into women choosing their reproductive rights. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have known any different if that had happened to me. But it's kind of a real eye opener when you had a full and what I feel is a fulfilling life. And suddenly you look back and and you think, wow, I almost stepped into the, the abyss there. And I almost didn't have a life. I almost didn't have this husband who I adore or you know, this family who I love. So it started with a physical reaction. And then what happened was that after my sister went back to California and I was kind of with my husband and I suddenly started to have this incredible emotional reaction where I'm not much of a crier. I think I do pretty well under stress and shock, but suddenly I'm crying at everything. I'm crying at, I'm washing the dishes and I start crying. I'm tying my shoes and I start crying. And my husband said, God, I've never seen you cry like this before. And I said, I don't even know why I'm crying. And this went on for a while. And then I had about two weeks where I decided I just have to like sleep or I have to just, I don't know, I just have to disengage. And so, yeah, I spent about two weeks eating chocolate chip cookies and watching like reruns of The uh, Walking Dead. But then after the two weeks, I thought, you know, this isn't helping me. I've got to, I've got to get it together here. I've got to see how to move through this because this is the most destabilizing feeling I have ever had. You know, I've, I've lived long enough on the planet, and so I've gone through my share of of challenges, of so divorce, death of people I like. But this is like nothing I have ever felt before. It was a Molotov cocktail of emotions going through me from one minute I'd feel, you know, loss and grief and disappointment. And at times, yeah, I would go into a little anger. And then at times I'd feel grateful because I felt like, oh my God, I almost wasn't alive and now I am. And then I'd feel sadness and I never knew what was the emotion that was going to visit in that moment. So that's what that felt like to me. Did your ethnicity change? 
it did not. Well, I mean, I well, don't know totally. Yeah. I, I don't know totally, but it wasn't a surprise, which is why I set the results aside because I thought, okay, 52, you know, I think they call it a Mexican, American, Mexican, but I think they call it, I don't remember what they call it, Native American. They call it something that means that you're from the Americas. So there was that, and there was some Spanish and Portuguese. And, you know, part of the reason I did this DNA test was because my mother, although, you know, my parents are from Mexico, my mother always said there is a Jewish component to our ancestry. And sure enough, my cousins were coming in at 40% Jewish, and they had some genealogy done. And yes, there was this whole story about these, you know, on my mother's side of the family, you know, Portuguese Jews coming, you know, fleeing the Inquisition. And I always thought growing up Catholic, you'd always heard of the chosen people. So I always thought, oh, that would be cool. I'm one of the chosen people. But according to DNA, although 40%, although many of my cousins were coming in at 40%, I came in at 3%. And so that should have been a big clue, but I didn't really pay attention. So after discovery, what was life like for you? The first year was the hardest, and it was something I thought about virtually 24-7 and dreamed about a lot. And because this is my foundation, this is our identity or my identity was what I had built everything upon. And I never understood, I've never understood, I've never thought of because it wasn't relative to me what it must feel like when somebody loses their identity or what somebody feels like when identity is an issue. I thought, well, yeah, that was an issue for me to some degree when I was growing up and that was painful. But I always believed it was my parents who were my birth parents and my siblings were related to me by blood. So for the first year, I had to make it, I felt like one of these squirrels where I'm grabbing, taking all my you know nuts and storing them away. And for me, it was just like, oh, I'm putting all the pieces back together again as quick as I can, because if I don't, it almost felt like, I mean, it was just so destabilizing and so shattering to some degree. Mm -hmm. So I spent the year talking to anybody who knew anything. And the odd part is that while this happened very early on, it was as if the universe opened the floodgates and said, well, okay, now's your time to know everything. So the woman who had or whose husband had reached out to me on Facebook, it ended up that she was my half sister. Mm. And what after finding out, you know, I was I probably should have slowed this whole process down a little bit and and done this in a little bit more time. But I felt that she so badly wanted to know and wanted to find family that I didn't feel I could take a day away from her to not know. So about a week later, I remember it was Valentine's Day, I called my half-sister and broke her the news that I was actually her sister. And she, it was like the floodgates opened for her too. Suddenly, she remembered everything. It was all I had to do was give her a piece of the puzzle. She suddenly remembered memories of being with my family. She remembered my mother's name. She remembered my sister. She remembered my sister having chihuahuas. She remembered so many details. And then, crazy enough, she also said my birth mother was probably not alive because she was mentally ill. She was either schizophrenic or bipolar, and she had cut herself off from her daughter. And 
No, she had no idea where she was, but she couldn't possibly be alive at, at, you know, in her 90s. Well, two weeks later, an attorney reaches out because also I have a half brother and I guess he died, had died. And if he hadn't died, this is the other thing. If he hadn't died, this attorney wouldn't have reached out to my half sister and told her, actually, your brother died and your birth mother is still alive and in a state hospital in Chicago. So two weeks after finding out I'm adopted, I'm off on a plane headed for Chicago and to meet my birth mother. So yeah, and that was a pretty intense experience. Yeah. How did that go? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. It probably would have gone maybe a little differently, at least for me, if we had done this six months later, not two to three weeks later of finding out, because I was still so raw and so shaken up by all of it. So my birth mother was alive, but on hospice. So this was last days. And I remember, and she's in a state hospital. So if you can imagine, you know, you're hearing, you know, people are coming up to you and you know, their their memories aren't what they once were, or you hear people yelling or screaming in the background. And and they pushed this very tiny woman in a big wheelchair towards us. And I remember looking at her thinking, that cannot be my mother. She doesn't look anything like, we don't look anything alike. She looked like this little Irish elf. And I don't look like an Irish elf. And I, the other thing too is I am so accustomed at this point that my, my birth, that my birth mother would have been my adopted mother, that that was I mean, and I always looked at her kind of even with all our fraught relationship going on, I would look at her going, God, she's beautiful. She's this amazing, like stoic, just force of nature. And I always thought I came from that. And I'm looking at this woman going, just don't feel anything. I don't, I thought I'd have at least a recognition or somewhere I thought like, oh, this is a woman that gave birth to me. I will feel some power coming between us. And it was nothing. So I remember being feeling like an observer the entire time watching her. And also she's mentally ill. She's got dementia. She's not with it. So she didn't know necessarily who my half-sister was, who she raised. And she certainly didn't know who I don't believe she knew who I was. But I thought to myself, okay, well, I used to be an acupuncturist. So I used to be very focused on touch, you know, and touching people and kind of feeling maybe where they were a little bit energetically and physically. And I thought to myself, okay, I know I have a very gentle touch. So when she's not looking at, because she don't want anybody to touch her. But I thought, okay, if she looks away, I am going to touch her so gently, she's not going to even know. And then I will feel this recognition. And I went over and I just touched her just so gently. And it took her a second or like maybe five seconds. Then she realized somebody was touching her. And then she flicked me away. And my uh, my friend, who was very sarcastic, said to me later, I guess she flicked you away twice, huh? And I thought, yeah, I guess that's true. But um, so I never felt a connection to her in really any way. And then she died about four months later. That is not what, what I was expecting to hear, is that your birth mother was unable to recognize you and being mentally ill and in her state of dementia, but also that it sounds like you didn't really feel a bond with her. No. And it's surprising to this day to me because I feel, for example, I mentioned that I used to be an acupuncturist. So you have to develop a bond fairly quickly with the clients that come in in order to help heal them. And 
I feel that I'm a pretty compassionate person and I'm also just somebody who loves connection. And so I'm a little surprised that I wasn't able to form that. And all I can think of is maybe my bond to my adoptive mother was so strong that maybe that was it. If I had had more time or maybe if it wasn't such so close after the shock of learning I was adopted, that maybe I would have have felt differently. But I also think this is maybe what contributed to that. My half-sister told me about her life with my birth mother, and it wasn't pretty at all. And I really feel a lot of compassion and empathy for her and my half-brother growing up that way. And I guess I feel if I'm angry at anybody, I still I don't feel angry at my birth mother anymore, and I certainly don't feel angry at her for, I feel that for for putting me up for adoption with my parents, because I, I feel, I, as much as we had a fraught relationship, I do feel that was so much better, and I did feel loved by my parents, even though it was very hard at times, but I feel that she mistreated her the children that stayed with her, and I really, I feel for that, I just, I really feel for that, and and maybe that had something to do with why I felt a certain, certain just distance from her. Yeah. Did she ever end up having any more children after you? Well, that is a question that nobody has asked me yet. And this will be the first time I've ever said this, but I do know that she did. And mm. they are somewhere out there. And I, although I get a lot of second and third and fourth cousins coming in through ancestry. I never answer any of them. But every now and again, I I brace myself thinking maybe one of these times that person will come in. Did she, do you think she raised the children or, or did she relinquish them for adoption? The two children, she, well, she had two children that she did not relinquish. And then I know she had another that she did. Okay, so you and perhaps another were relinquished to adoption? Yes. Okay. And so you have not found this, <laughs> not yet anyway, this other, this other sibling of yours? I have not, but I'm not looking necessarily. This is the thing. I am somebody who wants to know the truth. I don't care if it's a bad truth. I need to know the truth and I'll deal with the consequences later, though it was so exhausting, this experience during the first year that I remember kind of joking with my my adopt, adoptive sister and saying to her, you know what, I can only I can only take meeting one new relative a year. <laughs> this is just so hard. And at that point, like, in fact, a question people ask me is, don't you want to know who your your birth father is? And I say to myself, you know what, maybe I will never know. And again, maybe I will never know who this sibling is. And I'm okay with that. When it comes to my father, my adoptive father, I just almost inconceivable for me to think of anybody else as my father. I mean, they both my parents were such a force of nature. You know, they were, you know, they not only had our family that they took care of, but they basically were the patriarch and matriarch of a very big extended family. My father's father died at a very young age. So my father had to leave school at age 12 in Mexico and take care of his six siblings. Oh, wow. And his mother. And he, God, he, 
he talk about resilience. He had to go to work. And I mean, this was not like high paying work, but they had to make ends meet somehow. And my mother also didn't have an easy growing up either. And yet they still were providing for a lot of people, you know, who were growing up back in Mexico when they came to the United States. They were sending money, they were sending things, they were doing everything they could. And my parents did not have a lot. So it, when I think about who is my real father, I always default to my adoptive father because I impossible for me to almost believe that there is anybody else out there. And chances are he won't be alive anyway. Mm. I understand your experience of where you're at right now with looking into or not looking into your your biological family um, and what you've learned to this point sounds like that's what you can handle at this point. But Well, you- excuse me, I just want to yeah. clarify that yeah. I believe I could handle if, if it comes. I'm just not looking for it necessarily actively. Yeah. I, but if it comes, it comes, you know, and that's that's my next life experience. And I will deal with it like I dealt with it with this and hopefully the healthiest manner that I can. I just feel that there's so much else to life. For me at this time, being an author, having my own family, you know, I'm very, very involved with animal rescue and animal rights issues. You know, that is the thing that gives me purpose every day. And therefore, I focus on those things. Yeah. And you have a, you, do you still talk with your, your sister? Um, I guess that would be your half sister. I do. Yeah. She reaches out or we connect about once a month. She is on the ball for every holiday. She sends me a text or some something. And we, we do talk at birthdays and and such. This is the thing. You know, we came from very opposite views on searching. For example, she was searching for family and she wanted to find someone. I was on the complete opposite end in that I had not been searching for family. I just wanted to know how much Jewish I was. I wanted to know if there was anything else. And I was not looking for family. So for her, it wasn't, it was a shock in a way of she was so excited and so happy to find family. And I was more like, oh my God, oh my God, what? You know, this is my, I had a family. I have these people. I have this all set in place. So I had to kind of slow the whole process down. And now that I talk to a lot of people who have kind of jumped into the new new families, I'm glad I did because some of them are not families anymore. Some of them have had fallings out and whatnot. And I feel kind of like I had to talk to her and say, I need to go at this one step at a time and make this an organic process. So maybe we can be friends before we say we're family. You know, maybe we can go at this pace or at least that's the pace I need right now because I've just discovered the greatest shock of my life. And Mm. it's going to take me a bit to put all the pieces together and and get on board with this and get used to the new normal. And she was absolutely fine with it. She said, absolutely, that makes total sense to me. And I was very grateful that she did that. And she wasn't trying to push it in any way. And you found out about four years ago? Four years ago, yes. Have you had any discussions with, it sounds like at least 63 family members, if not more, (laughs) knew about, knew this secret about you. Have you, is that anything you ever discuss with family members? Yes. As soon as I found this out, I said to my sister, 
as soon as she told me, one of my first questions was, Lily, we have 63 first cousins. How many people know about this? And she said, I really don't know. And so I started with the cousins I felt closest to and started calling and saying, hey, I have big news to tell you. I'm adopted. And they would react. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Oh, Oh, yeah, I've known that ever since I could walk. Oh, you didn't know that? And after maybe about 10 cousins, I just stopped calling. And sometimes I would email. And virtually, I think there was maybe two or three that didn't know but I have nieces and nephews who knew, you know, the, you know, when people get married, cousins, their partners knew. Mm. So there was a big veil of secrecy around me. And yeah, we've had lots of discussions about it. What has been an amazingly beautiful thing is I probably feel closer to a lot of them than I ever have felt because they made it very clear that although none of them wanted to cross my parents because that's how much power my parents had as matriarch and patriarch of our extended family, they did make it so clear how much they loved me, how much I was Mm -hmm. part of the family. And I'll tell you a funny story. I have some cousins who were, they're all, it's five, five men. And a few of them I was telling the story to one day at one of their houses. And one of my cousins was on my left and the other one was on my right. And when I finished telling the story, my cousin on my left was crying and he took my hand and he said, we love you. We've always loved you. You will always be part of our family. And he was just like crying. And my other cousin took my hand and he said, "Nah, you're out. And we started (laughs) laughing so much because this is kind of our family. Mm -hmm. We love and we laugh a lot. And that meant the world to me in many ways of how much I was loved and how much, although nobody said anything, and I do feel that was a mistake. I also don't lay that on my cousins that they should not have been the one to tell me. My parents Mm -hmm. should have. And at an early age, but that wasn't what happened and it was a different time. But I have been held with a lot of love and a lot of conversation and support. It's clear there's a lot of love in your family and and I can hear the love for your parents. But did you just say that that you wish you had been told? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is the interesting thing about this. And I used to be somebody who was very black and white. This is right. This is wrong. And maybe I'm still a little like that. But I also live in the gray a lot more than I ever used to. And this is what I mean by that, by what you just said. Yes, I feel I should have been told. I feel that everyone has the right to know who they are. Absolutely. No question in my mind. But then when I look back at my own life, I think to myself, okay, my parents came from a different time when adoption was held in in a very different way. There was a lot of people keeping secrets. They weren't unique to that. And I think to myself, well, my mother was not exactly the warmest and cuddliest person who had an ability to communicate deep emotion or to share in long conversation. I kind of believe that if they had told me early on, my mother would have said, Carlene, you were adopted. We will never speak of it again. And that would have brought up a whole lot of issues for me later on. So I think to myself, okay, so she couldn't have done that. So maybe when I was in my when I was a teenager, forget it. My mother and I were just butting heads constantly. Not a good time probably to tell me. When I was a young adult, I was so angry at life and I didn't even realize how angry I was that probably not the best time to tell me I was adopted. You know, my parents were already 
afraid that somehow I was going to like, I don't know what they were afraid of. And yeah, I was kind of on an odd course there. In my 30s, I was married for the first time and that wasn't a good relationship. So it wouldn't have necessarily been the best news at that time. In my 40s, I was remarried to the most, to the love of my life. We had two, I have two stepchildren and our life was so busy that I just did not, couldn't have taken on one more thing. In my 50s, I was at the, the height of what I felt was the best time of my life in the sense that I was already a published author. I was getting up and speaking in front of audiences about the animal-human bond, which is something I'm passionate about. I felt I had just actually come back from speaking in front of our legislature here in New Mexico about animal rights. And I thought to myself at that moment, God, I'm the strongest I've ever felt in my life. I get home. My sister's here. She tells me I'm adopted. And I, yeah, that was a very tsunami-like experience, but a tsunami, like I felt like a tree in a tsunami that bends, but I didn't break. And I think to myself, looking back over all those times, would I have somehow broken in a much more profound way during all of those times? So I live in the space of believing I should have been told early on, but also thinking in some ways it happened at the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm. And it sounds like you've done some things for your healing in this last four years. What what have you what have you been working on as as part of your healing process? I'm glad you asked that because that is something that I did work on after those two weeks of initially eating chocolate chip cookies and just being up to just kind of laying around trying to figure out what to do. I decided I was going to go into my resiliency toolkit. And by that, I mean, I started looking back on what are the things that have helped me through other difficult times. And one of them was not denying how I was feeling. Whatever that emotion was, I was going to recognize it. I might have a conversation with it because to me, I feel like emotions, depending on what they are, kind of spiral around a deeper emotion. Like what is the deepest emotion I'm feeling here? For example, right now I'm feeling angry. Well, to me, anger and depression, those kind of hover around something deeper. And for me, I would always go to loss. Loss was always the deepest emotion I would feel. It. That was the core emotion I was going through. And the loss was that when my sister said the words, Carlene, you are adopted, I felt like in that moment, something severed our, our, my connection to my adoptive family. And although my family was not saying this in the least, I felt like they were now saying, okay, you have another family, you should go be with them. And they were not saying that at all. And I, but I felt kind of like this little baby deer who was just born and I was trying to find their, their, their footing, but their legs are so spindly. That's how I felt. And so I, I did, I felt that disconnection from my family and I realized it was loss. It was loss. It was loss. So loss would have been the deepest emotion I was going through. And I believe that by allowing myself to feel it, by giving it a name, loss, grief, you know, whatever that emotion is allowing myself to cry and not to like push it down and say, no, no, let's buck it up. Let's move forward. Because I used to do that. I believe that that really helped me through. And then also for me as an author, writing is my superpower. It is my ability to put things down in words and make sense of it. How does this make sense to me? So 
writing was a big one. And I wrote a book about this whole experience. And that was a tremendous opportunity for me to write something that other people have felt connected to, whether they've gone through adoption or the LDA experience or not. You know, this book is about family and complicated family dynamics and love and connection and so many things and how I got to the other side. So I would say that. And the third thing I did, which beyond, you know, recognizing emotions, experiencing them and beyond having a supportive family that did support me in many ways and beyond being a writer, I adopted a dog at the 10 month mark. I adopted a dog that had been through a horrible situation here in northern New Mexico. She came from a very bad hoarding situation. She had been attacked by a mountain lion out there. And when I brought her, she was so fearful. And it was as if she was going through her own identity issue. She had forgotten how to be a dog. She never wagged her tail. She didn't want to sniff anything. She was depressed. And I knew because I was somebody who has had adopted dogs from difficult situations and I've been through this before. I knew I had to dedicate the next however long to her health, to her well-being, to her, you know, helping her adapt to her new surroundings. And so I spent six months just very focused on her. And when the six months were over, not only was she almost like a completely different dog, people would say that going, God, it's unbelievable. Is that the same dog? But I was also a different person. I felt like that story of my adoption was not spinning in my head 24-7. I just felt like I had come through a cocoon myself and I felt differently. So I would say those are the things that really helped me in my healing process, you know, helping helping an animal who needed my help more than I needed to focus on my story. Mm. Oh, I've never heard that. That's actually a wonderful idea if you can devote the love and attention to the to your dog that's that's beautiful what's your dog's name grace grace oh that's so sweet thank you what is the name of your book my book is called junkyard girl and it's a memoir of ancestry family secrets and second chances and i will put the link below for carlene's book and Carlene, before I ask for contact details, is there anything else you wanted to share before I close? Sure. I'd like to say for anybody who is going through this LDA experience, there. what I didn't do, I never knew about all the groups that are out there and all the wonderful support that was out there. If I had, I would have done it a lot sooner than I had. So I just want people to know there are resources, there are other people that are going through the same thing you are. And it really helped me once I started getting connected to other organizations. One is Adoption Mosaic. I think they're terrific. There are certain Facebook groups that I that really help me, but you're not alone. And I w- would encourage you to reach out to others. I will put in a link for Adoption Mosaic as well. And then do you have a Facebook group, maybe an LDA or NPE Facebook group that you that you would recommend? You know what? I, I always get them confused because yeah. the names of them are so similar. Yes. So at this moment, I do not. I don't know. Maybe you do. And I'm probably on that group. Yes. Yes. Prob- probably. I can think of a few. I'll throw in some in the resources below. Thank you. Well, Carlene, if people wanted to contact you, would they be able to do that? Absolutely. 
people, I would encourage people, especially if they're animal lovers, to come to my website, which is an awesome website celebrating the animal-human bond. It's at animalhumanhealth.com, animalhumanhealth.com. And there's a way to contact me on that website. Oh, wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for being being willing to let people contact you and for all these great resources I will put them down below in the episode description and and thank you so much for sharing your story today Lily it's really been a delight to speak with you thank you so much for having me these stories are here for us to identify with if you are an NPE would like to share your story email npestories at gmail.com you do not have to give any identifying information If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.